Being a creative is a journey. You're constantly evolving. However you can stay inspired and resist burnout and be a part of an organization that helps you and supports you, just kind of trying to be grateful and trying to thrive is really, really important in meaningful work. Strong companies, lasting partnerships, powerful events. Welcome to the Experience Builders Podcast. Chris, we're having an episode on creativity. I thought I got the memo, but I obviously did not for listeners or viewers You're on underprepared, YouTube. You're underprepared, buddy. I am underprepared. They will definitely see what's wrong with my outfit today. What? Tell me about the getup. Tell me about your, you even Listen. posted about this on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, you, I'm really excited about um, today's ex Experience Builders episode. You and I have talked about this subject. Satch and I have talked about this months ago. I was like, I got to have you on. This, you know, the, the subject of creativity, it's just, it's such a, you know, it's a main artery in our industry. And, you know, I think a lot of people think about from a design standpoint, it's, 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 if you're, you know, it's critical thinking, it's, it's being creative in project management. It's, if you're a business owner, you're big, it, it's, it's everywhere. And I don't, I can't think of a sharper mind than Satchel's to, um, to really kick off a conversation about this. So, like I said, you and I have talked about Cleo. Um, this was on our list originally of the 20 top 20 episodes we wanted to create. Um, so when we finally were able to nail down a date and get Satchel Josephson on board with us, um, you know, I've been preparing for a week for this and I'm, I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta bring my A game. I gotta channel, you know, that Satchel Josephson energy. So, um, I just thought, well, what would Satchel wear on any given Tuesday? Right. And so <laughs> this, you know, so a Michael Kors tuxedo blazer is just one of his, you know, throws that on like you and I might throw on an Adidas T-shirt. So every time okay. I see him, he's the sharpest grass guy in the room. So um, and I don't know. I, I think, yes, it's part of his persona, but it's I think it makes a statement about the way his his brain and his mind work. And super happy to have uh, be able to borrow that for an hour this morning. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Satchel. Awesome. It's great to be here. Yeah. Chris, How did you glasses look great? <laughs> How did the. uh outfit come about when did you start dressing like this has this always been a thing oh i think that there became a point in my life where you know the subject is about creativity today and there's a there's an important component of creativity that is this notion of like self-doubt and you know i think it's very human to have self-doubt and when there's there's another side to it is if you just kind of let go of some of that self-doubt, you know, I don't know that I fully have given it up and it's something that I'm continually kind of trying to find the courage to be fearless. But when I kind of just, there became a point in my life where I was just like, you know, I'm going to just try to be my authentic self. You know, I grew up um, kind of being a jock and um, playing hockey and baseball. And a lot of my identity was channeled around sports. And then that kind of all ended. And I said, well, what, what does the next chapter look like for me? And, you know, kind of going from high school to college is like a vulnerable state. 
And I kind of got to reimagine myself. And I really was passionate about architecture and graphic design and interior design. And I loved cars. And all of this just kind of manifested in me kind of rebuilding myself. And um, because we were always evolving as individuals. And so I kind of started seeing people and I was like, I kind of like that person's vibe. And when I think about being a professor, you know, I always, I've, I've had wonderful professors and I wouldn't be where I am without the wonderful mentors that have helped me along the way. But when I'm in the classroom, I'm always trying to be the professor I wish I had. And it's just a way for me to establish a vision for myself, so to speak. You know, just, I've had a one, I've had wonderful parents, but I have four children and I'm always trying to be the dad I wish I had, even though I have a great dad, you know what I mean? And so I'm saying, well, what does that look like? You know, and it's, um, you know, trying to create kids that are respectful, responsible, grateful, you know, they participate in the world and they, they too have the courage to follow their dreams, but it's important for me to practice that. And so I started dressing fun and just trying to um, take pride in um, things and maybe partially the way I look, but it's also a manifestation of what's going on in my mind because I love all of the, I love creativity and I love design and I love art and um, why not wear it on the outside too? Satchel, I was, my mother made all the Griffin boys take Latin in high school and I took Latin for two years and the very first phrase I ever learned in Latin and it's probably one of the only two phrases I still remember was um Westus Wierum Reddit which is clothes make demand and you know to your point I think everybody can relate to the fact that if you're if you dress if you look good if you look in the mirror and you look you feel good and to your point I love what you were saying about your I mean, it's a confidence thing. It's a self-esteem thing. And I'm a parent too. And you want to teach your kids to be their authentic selves in a world that um, is constantly trying to shape and channel them into a box or a label of some kind or another. And it takes a very confident individual to, in the middle of all that noise and influence, just be yourself. So um, love, love that, love Love this conversation. I, I also think it's so interesting that from like, you, you mentioned that you had been a jock and there's this stigma yeah. around even vulnerability as being a jock because you've got to maintain a certain persona and carry yourself in a certain light. And honestly, it's not that different in terms of the business world. Uh, Chris, I'm sure that you're familiar with it, but showing up to a networking event, you've got to talk the talk and walk the walk and you know you don't where your emotions on your sleeve and different things like that. But as we talk about creativity and even just the vulnerability that you mentioned, Satchel, as you went through a, a transition and finding yourself, do you think that you're really able to find your creativity and like you mentioned, Chris, your authentic self without being vulnerable? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that when we're, when we figure, when we talk about creativity as a, as a discipline, you know, we have like the creative, that's the individual. And then and that person is constantly putting themselves out there for, for judgment. And um, part of being a designer is being vulnerable. And, you know, I don't like to necessarily, when you look at somebody, 
or you look at me, for example, or you see somebody with purple hair and you go, oh, you must be creative. And I don't necessarily want to associate creativity as a discipline with people's identity, so to oh, speak. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that um, you, you can have, you can dress like this and be creative, but you can also dress like this conceptually and not participate in the, the process of creativity and or be a maker and be a part of producing the end product, which is also a manifestation of creativity. And um, so I almost think of it as three parts. There's the individual and Khalil, your question about, you know, vulnerability and being a creative is that notion of self-doubt and having the courage to persevere is so, so important because you need to understand that what you're producing in the exhibit and event world is we're really creating a conversation starter. You know, when, when we design something, we're often designing it with the client and if we want to, we're trying to co-create. And so there's a little bit of vulnerability there too, because you may think that the client, um, is maybe on the wrong path or they're providing suggestions that you're maybe not um, aligning with. And you have to find a way to almost pick your battles and making sure that the, we're moving the project forward and we're also being good listeners and we're also being able to use the elements of art and principles of design to make sure that we're creating a really, really great experience. And when we are experience builders, there's just so many things to think about. There's the client, and then there's the design team, and then there's maybe a company like um, Chris's Crew XP that is actually producing it. And we're then, fulfillment, right? We're not, yeah, we don't drive strategic and creative, but you're right. We're the fulfillment team that people turn to. And we're all doing this work so that when we build this machine, somebody can go into the machine, some transformation is occurring, and then they leave constructing meaning that they didn't have before. You know, and, Khalil, uh, let me, uh, let me jump in. I love, I love this, by the way. So when I'm being creative, I'm, these are going to be my creative glasses. And then because I'm of that age, this is me having to look at the notes <coughs> in this discussion that we've been planning for. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan. Satchel, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with Sir Ken Robinson, which was a, he passed away in 2020, but he was a, just, a, just an unbelievable, um, you see, he was known as really an international advisor on the subject of education in the arts. And, what you were saying earlier about being vulnerable. One of the things I know he always talked about was the thing about creativity, people that are, it's, it's willing to be wrong, right? It's putting yourself. And that's where the vulnerability I think comes from, right? You're putting, you know, somebody once told me that de design is problem solving and there, you know, if somebody's coming to you and, and says, Hey, Satchel, I want you and your team to, to design me this great, you know, work environment, office environment or whatever it is. And there's a lot of ways you, they give you all the functional needs, but there's a lot of ways you can solve that problem with, you know, creatively. So 
So, and again, I've always wondered, and one of my questions is, if they reject that, they're not rejecting you, even though you put so much of, of yourself into it. And I think cr creative people mostly, you know, really do that. But it's, it's, I'm rejecting solving the problem that way. And how do you not take that personally, right? When you put so much into that, I, by the way, is that yeah. something you ever, t you teach or talk about in, with your students? Yeah, I'm Ken, big, Ken Robinson is great. He wrote a book called The Element and he talks about, you know, his Very notion cool. of creativity is being in the element. And um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi it wrote a book called Flow. And, um, you know, there's lots of different ways of understanding. Uh, Rick Rubin just wrote a book um, about creativity as well. And you know, he kind of thinks of it as a way of being and Robin Robinson kind of talks about like, it's a, it's a state. And the challenge is that we, and to Ken Robinson's ideas, you know, he really focuses on this, this educational idea and the K-12 system is focused on getting the right answer. And the first thing that I do with my students is I'm like, okay, in this class, we're going to learn how to fail. We're going to fail early and we're going to fail often. And, um, and the students are like, what? And um, that's because we're, we need to embrace this idea of creativity as a process where we're first kind of defining the problem. We're collecting information. We're using divergent thinking processes and brainstorming and understanding and analyzing. And then we're going to ultimately like come up with a solution. And when we come up with a solution, we're being vulnerable. We share that solution. We develop feedback. And so your client may say, you know, I like this. I like this, but this is way off and this is way off. And then we kind of create a revision and then we redefine the problem. We recollect information. And it's important to understand that being creative is not linear. It's rather cyclical. And every time we get go around this process, we're hoping to get closer and closer to the to the bullseye, so to speak. And so, it's a, the, is it fair to say, very rarely do you hit the bullseye on the very, on the first attempt? Yeah, and I think it's possible, but we need to create a culture in our organizations so that we don't have to hit the bullseye every time. You know, when we as as makers or designers or artists, you know, we, we are constantly like planting seeds in a garden. And in order for not every seed is going to take, you know, so the bullseye is, you know, we got a project, the seed grew, it's beautiful, whatever, but we don't usually plant one seed, we plant multiple seeds, and we need to cultivate that garden so that as projects come, we can slowly pick beautiful roses and we learn more about our garden as we continue to plant and cultivate. And so organizations need to create a culture of, of failure. And oftentimes the timelines don't allow, timelines keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Post COVID, they're tighter. And, um, right. and so that means that when the project comes across the designer's table, they have to get closer and closer to the bullseye because there's not that much room for error because they're also working on other projects that have tight deadlines.
Right. And so we were in some previous episodes, we were talking about like um, the death spiral or something along yep. those lines. Right. And um, favorite subject. And the death spiral that happens within organizations happens inside the design department too. And mm -hmm. when the design department is going through a death spiral, we need to try to create space for them to, to fail, but also to continue to be inspired. What does that death spiral look like? Yeah, I was just going to say, what, and is it a culture thing? Or is it a behavior thing? It's a, what, is it project-based? How does the death spiral start? So I think that, you know, if, the, if you get a project where it was supposed to be done yesterday, mm. they have no money and they have no idea what they want, you know. And you're talking to, so you're talking to some of my old clients is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the same I, thing. We used and to be a magnet, a magnet for that type of, of, of partner. And part of um, part of leadership's responsibility is vetting clients to make sure, um, you know, we're going to get you're going to get leads. But the qualifying of that lead and leadership's ability to protect their staff is vitally important. And so to smart. keep That's so to true. keep to keep the um, the culture of your organization alive. And if you have your employees back. You will they will reciprocate and one of the things that um the experience builders podcast talks about is um building experiences for the event industry um and oftentimes as designers and makers we're thinking about working within an organization a client comes through the door and we're trying to design an experience for them what needs to be happening and chris you've alluded to this in previous episodes is that you as a leader of your organization are creating an experience for not only your customers, but you're also creating an experience for your employees. Yes. And so how can we intentionally do that? And what systems can we put in place so that it's not just like, um, well, I hope this is working and it needs to be like, um, really like what are some things or systems that we can put in to think about the experience of an organization. You know, I don't only, the organization I work within at Bemidji State, Uni excuse me, Bemidji State University, you know, administration needs to be thinking about the faculty experience, but the faculty need to be thinking about the student experience. And every decision we make as professors needs to be focused on challenging and supporting students to help them follow their dreams. It's not to put them through our filters and say this is what you're going to be at the end of this it's us creating an experience that helps them self-actualize and ultimately really reach their dreams and so one of the things satchel so he's talking about it from an educational standpoint and he likes to quote uh pablo picasso he said all children are artists when they're born the problem yeah. is is them remaining that as they go through life in a world that seems to want to teach, train, and coach you out of that. And he talks a lot about how academic institutions really are designed to drive you to academic linear thinking, um, which doesn't leave room for, you know, th the band people 
and the and the theater people and the and the dance people that gets pushed down to the the bottom of the pyramid on on academics by the way and then he talks about how the business world has then picked up on also sort of punishing either by design or by default wrongness mistakes you're not promoted you're 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 not kept as an employee you're so you become afraid to fail or to not do it a certain way and and we really are losing the huge opportunity of unleashing that true authentic power of anybody that's creative and it could be my master carpenter in the shop who makes the sexiest reception counters you've ever seen or it could be that original designer where you you see a, a structure and environment and you go this looks better than anything i even imagined how how did you how did you come up with this so how do we how do we create culture in our workplace maybe even with people that have been in the workforce for 10 or 20 years and have been conditioned to not take those risks how do we is is it possible to still bring that up i mean you're you're the you're the farmer in the apple orchard growing the trees before they're picked and shipped, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's a different set of challenges. But how about those? How about those? That fruit that's already been at their desk working away for so long, and um, they forgot what the smell of fresh cut grass and a sunny morning looks and, and feels like. Yeah, you've talked a lot in uh, previous episodes. You've talked about this like hybrid employee and. I'm going to put these back on because I'm feeling creative right now. (laughs) How you can wear multiple hats. And if you think about an organization and you think about the culture that you're creating as, as it relates to this notion of oppression, it's a really interesting kind of thought exercise. Um, If we think about oppression as a system. And so the leader of the organization is taking in every client that comes in. They don't care. It's all about revenue and then he's pushing that work onto account managers and salespeople, and now they feel oppressed. And so to continue the system in order for them to make you happy as the leader, then now they need to go to the design department and say, you know, I need you to do something. You know, I need you to work on Saturday and Sunday. Probably going to be long days. Oh, it's your kid's birthday party. You know, could you do this one for me? It'll just be this one time. And now the designer is being oppressed and now they're mad. And the reason they're being oppressed is because of the person kind of shepherding the project, which was ultimately given to them by leadership. And now their kids are being oppressed and their family life is being oppressed. And, and Oh, by the way, are they doing their best work when they're feeling that way? Satchel? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about uh, this notion of, Uh, that I never thought about this until you brought it up in the podcast is when we pay double time, we're getting the worst work. And I know it's not complicated um, to think about, but like we always think about the work being almost linear forever, but it doesn't, you know, people, um, they're. Sometimes you need something like sleep, right? Sometimes you just need to get up and change your, your physical location to get a fresh perspective, right? Yeah, effective. So so what you're talking about with the shop is happening to the designer. So the designer's process is now oppressing the shop. And now you have a system of oppression. And so we say, well, how? what does the other side of this look like? 
and how much does it cost? And it's basically, uh, how do we create a system of freedom? And so we manage the clients that come through the door. And every once in a while, we'll get that project that comes through the door where um, they have a budget, they have no time, and it's a potential client that could move our organization forward. But when times like that happen, we bring everybody together and we say, here's the deal. We got this customer that came through the door. They have money. They have no time. They want it basically yesterday. What should we do? And you may, when you create a system of freedom, get them to say, you know, it's my kid's birthday party this week. I need to be out of here by 5 p.m. And, I, and I'll come back at 10 p.m. But I will rock this because I want this business for our organization and the shop and everybody rallies around it. And now you have a system of freedom where everybody's bought into the culture of the organization and they don't feel resentful but rather they feel empowered. And so, so that, system- that, that spirit of inclusion and sort of a permission-based approach, not a, a dictator approach. Um, totally. And by the way, if, if that's a culture they feel part of and are proud to be part of that, they want to, you're right. I'm willing to, I'm willing to sacrifice something here for the good of the team. Cause I get what we are all building and working towards. And, and so, um, which by the way, I, you know, if, if you're a business owner or a business leader listening to this, that should absolutely be recognized to the, in front of the tribe at that right moment. It, it don't let that person, you know, do those things repeatedly without taking a minute, you know, on your Thursday, Thursday pub crawl after, or your, or your, your Monday lunch bunch, you know, raise, raise a glass and say, Let's give it up for Marianne, who just absolutely slayed it by putting this, this, and this on hold. We got a deal, and she's the reason because of the the extra. Because I, you can't underestimate um, that that type of recognition when I catch you doing something right and selfless, right? Moments of recognition are extremely important in all of this, and you know, one of the things to also think about that I've been kind of exploring is. <clears throat> this notion of customer burnout. And so we're oftentimes worried about our own organization and um, making sure that we are um, creating a good culture and empowering our employees. And then within the design department, how do we make sure that we are um, creating a culture of freedom and empowering our designers not to feel burnt out? But another thing to think about is when we think about our customers, how can we make sure that our processes and the processes of the industry, some of them we have control over, some of them we don't have control over, how do we try to mitigate and control the burnout for our, our, our customers? An analogy to this is in the healthcare field, you know, there's a lot of provider burnout and but there's also a lot of patient burnout. You know, patients call the hospital, they can't get in their leg hurts, they have to wait a few weeks, then they finally get in, then they get referred to the next person, and then that's a few weeks out, and then the provider calls in, and then that pushes them out a few more weeks, and then the medication they get isn't working, so they have to get another appointment, and then before you know it, the patient has decided, you know what, 
it's actually easier just to deal with the pain rather than to deal with this system that I'm a part of. And so if we think about the event industry and we think about that client that comes through the door that needs something last second, how can we create such a good experience that actually our employees feel empowered, but actually our customers also feel empowered so that you can, the, the easiest customer to get is the one you already have. And if you can alleviate their burnout, um, they're going to stick with you for life. Do you and talk about, do you talk about this in class, Satchel? Oh, we talk, well, which parts? Um, well, the I, I mean, I, I, I'm, first of all, I'm blown away to, to sit and think that there's a group of incoming designers that are sitting there thinking about customer burnout, not their own burnout. But because, I mean, if you talk about a, a, a serve you mindset, right? If you're, yeah. if you're recognized, because this is a, it's funny, I, th- I read a study that said the, an event manager is the fifth most, most stressful job in the United States. It's right behind police officer, which is number yeah. four. So, so an event manager is right behind the people that get shot at. Right. And you go, now that's, that's stressful. So, so for a designer, for an incoming designer to be thinking about, look, to have the empathy about what they're going through in the stress of that job. And, and they're they're very, for a lot of reasons, right. They may be on the edge of burnout with, um, you know, we know how frustrated they are with the lack of transparency of costs. Um, I had this conversation with the exhibitor advocate, some of the, some of the board members, and they said, you know, I'm a, I'm a master's degree in marketing person, and yet I am constantly 50% over budget at the end of my show and event, and I look like an idiot to my vice president boss that I report to, and it's, and it's not that I'm not managing to a budget. It's that there's all these hidden costs that keep showing up, and I mean, talk about an anxiety, and they live in fear of, will my job be limited? Will they get somebody else because they just don't like the bad news and I'm, I'm working like hell to try and manage these, but I, it, they, you know, when there's 29 different ways to calculate material handling fees, I can't estimate yeah. what that is. Right. So, but again, all the way through the, the beginning of the process for a designer to just be empathetic to a customer that lives with that level of stress is just amazing to me. I think our industry depends upon our customers not being burnt out. You know, when we think yes. about, um, which we are so focused on our own organizations, but when we think about the industry from a more macro level, um, we didn't know what was going to happen after after COVID. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And we didn't know if everybody was going to be living their lives with a headset in the metaverse or or what. And one of the awesome things that I'm so grateful for is we almost have a a renaissance in togetherness and the event industry is thriving as it should, but in order to continue its success and actually take it to another level, we have to be mindful of all the participants and all the stakeholders involved. And if going to an event is so much work that the organization is losing its employees because they're burnt out, then they're not going to be knocking on our doors to do the project. And they're not going to be knocking on your door. And again, we're creating a system of oppression in that manner that comes is at a more macro level. Khalil, you're listening to two high achieving event professionals just 
you know, pickleball these topics back and forth. By the way, I just invented that as a verb now, pickleballing. Um, <laughs> see how I did that? I weaved in a nice You're so creative, Chris. current event. Well, you know, you know what? Let me get these, <laughs> let me get these back on. Um, so, but, but as a, as a, as a business guy listening in, what are, what are sort of the halftime takeaways you're picking up on right now? What's sticking as maybe you weren't thinking about so this much. or it's relevant? Yeah. I think it's so helpful, uh, to see from Satchel's perspective. Um, you know, we talk a lot about it, the business side of things on this show, Chris, and to hear from the designer's perspective, how the business impacts their process and even the way that they feel is, is really a tremendous perspective to see as a leader, but then also to see that it's helpful for the designers to understand the high level aspect of why we're taking on this client and maybe even pushing through a project that doesn't necessarily make sense to our, you know, our current, uh, status as a company, mm. uh, as far as our capacity, but it does make sense to our future. And we're, we're bought in if we understand, uh, the vision then I think that's huge. And then also understanding the customer's perspective. I think that's great. But even as you guys are talking about how the industry is having a renaissance and a coming together, you know, it's often through the dark moments that you find inspiration and that you find a way forward uh, that's more collective, that's more powerful than ever. And I think, I, I think that's a really cool thing to see that you guys are seeing in the industry and to hear about uh, but I'm sure it's also sparking some creativity and there's even new things that people are trying coming out of COVID that they may have not been willing to try beforehand. Um, so very true. Very you true. know, I'd love to hear, I, I'd love to hear more on that design side satchel as a designer that's working inside of, uh, you know, a, the trade show industry, working at, uh, working with so many different stakeholders that aren't designers. What are the we've talked about burnout. What are some of the, the effects of burnout on designers and what are the things that can pull them out of a burnout situation? Uh, if we've got designers on our team as, as leaders, how can we understand and empathize with them a little bit more and understand how we can even aid them outside of what we've talked about with the death spiral and taking on the right projects? I'm sure, is there a burnout that comes from even just working too much of the same type of project? Where you feel like you're not even being creative anymore. You're just going through the process. Well, and even the yeah, business leaders listening. And what are those symptoms to look for, Satchel? I think some of it is is listening. You know, I think that um, Khalil talks about this idea of are you running the business or are you in the business? I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it fascinates me. And this idea of if I love that subject. This is oh, that's a fantastic. If you're if you're question. running the if you're running the business, part of your job is to be a good listener. And when we post COVID, as people reimagine their business, we need to be mindful that every one of the employees, not only just the designers, is looking for their next job. And if we can curate that within our own organization, then we're even better. And if if you're listening then you'll know what the next step for the designer is. And one of the challenges is a big project comes in. Um, let's just say the three of us are designers and Khalil's our big, big dog designer. Okay. And a big project, high dollar project comes in and we give it to Khalil. So Khalil gets to work on that one. 
Chris gets existing business and I kind of get the small pop-up stuff. And, but I want to eventually be a big dog. And I've been in working at our organization for a couple of years or even a year, you know, and they, and they came from Bemidji state and that person is thinking about doing a bigger project. And one of the things that when a big project that Khalil's working on is the owner of the organization of our design team could come into my office and say, Satchel, we got this big client that came in. I'm going to give Khalil the project, but you have to do all the stuff you're currently working on. But what do you think about also putting forth a design concept? You're going to have to do it on your own time. It's your, it's up to you if you want to do it. If you don't do it, I, pref- I respect that. And I understand that you're busy and have a life outside of this life. And um, do you want to do it? And oftentimes the younger designer will persevere and show some self-reliance and take on the project and they might actually win it. And being thought of as somebody that could maybe work on a big project, build my portfolio, um, things like that, those are all things that are important. And so being mindful of how our organizations distributes projects is an opportunity to deal with some of that burnout. And is is uh, that a fa- do you see that and and you know you you interact with enough exhibit houses and 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 the high level executives there do yeah. do we um cuz when i'm listening to you and if i've got those three designers you just described yeah. i'm at a place in my life and in my organization I have responsibility to bring, okay, so yes, Khalil may be in first chair uh, on the, Mm -hmm. on the big project, but I'm, I've got to, I've got to bring the farm team along. I've got to give opportunities. I'm not going to ask you to do that on your own time. Now, if you're already at capacity, am I going to pay overtime or, or double time for that? Um, We got to figure that out. But in the end, I want to give them the opportunity because they're never going to be bench strength doesn't get stronger if leadership is not investing in that next generation of talent, right? Is that a fair statement? Totally. And I quite, and I wonder, do we screw that up? Are you seeing a lot of exhibit houses that don't have a strategic approach to developing the bench? Yeah, I actually think that one of the mistakes companies are making is potentially two, twofold. The first is sometimes designer, junior designer, feels the only way that they're going to get to become a senior designer or a creative director or get shots at the bigger projects is if they actually switch companies. And that is, and that happens. And then the companies, um, we have a discussion about it and they're like, why, why do you think they left? And, and it was like, well, they wanted a shot at the bigger projects. And, and you and still said, see them as a production artist, not as a designer. Right. I totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a great point. And they they went to school to be a designer on some of these bigger projects. And they may think the challenge is that they may think that they're ready for a big project a year in or six months in. And if you can afford to throw them this project, then that's fine. But sometimes if you can afford it, sometimes just saying, here's the deal. I want you to feel valued. I see you growing in this organization and I, and this project came in. I want you to know that 
um, 20% of your time, I want you to work on this project. Even if they, even if they don't meet the deadline, let's say the deadline is in two weeks, but they, you want them to do this project and they submit it in a month and Khalil gets to submit his. And that's the one you actually pitch to the client. But then the, you're, then I get to pitch it, but I do almost like an internal pitch. And, um, because I want to build my portfolio and I want to get better. I don't just want to continue to design 10 by 10s and table drapes. You know what I mean? And I want to start thinking about things like drayage and I want to start thinking about things like hanging signs and, you know, but there's only certain level of projects do come in the door that have that kind of budget. Satchel, you just answered, you just answered your own question about the difference between, (laughs) between working on the business and working in the business. The, the high level exhibit house owner that's still his own top salesperson who, who comes to Khalil with every project because Khalil's the top hitter on the design team and he wants it done and he wants to go to the front of the line and he's cut. That's a guy that's working in his business and, and be damned with how disruptive it might be. The guy you just mm-hmm. described that's, con- that's, that's conscious about, hey, I really want three Khalil's. So I've got to bring young Satchel along and Griffin along. And so when you sit there and you're literally strategically thinking about assignment or, yeah, we may pitch this one, but we're going to, I'm going to show you the respect and we're going to, you're still doing a pitch. It just may be internal. My point is you are working on your business when you are doing things like that, you are developing the pitch. And so I, I think that's a great example right there of what is the difference you're, when you're tree chop height, right? And you look down, um, you know, every every military group that goes into a, a war zone and we do battle in the design world every every day, right? You've got to have somebody on Overwatch, somebody that's yeah. looking down to say, okay, group's getting thirsty here. We got to bump them this way. Or, hey, there's a cliff. We can't keep running full speed that way. We've got to move. If, if, if you're not, a, if there's not an owner or a business leader that's it's working on the business on Overwatch there. Um, everybody's at risk at some point. And I think burnout is, is, is the number one or, you know, PTSD. That's the number one thing. And the, yeah. the, the real cost, like you said, they go looking for work somewhere else. And exactly. that is just, and, that's brutal. Yep. And the, and then the other thing is not only do we want to challenge and support all of our designers, and that may look different. We, we still want to, even if Khalil's our big, hitter designer we still want to challenge and support him and that might look different than it looks for griffin and what it looks like for satchel yeah. and yeah. so as the person that is running the business they need to be listening to make sure that they know how to adequately challenge and support each one of their employees the other one of the ways that they could support the design team is sometimes they continue to get design projects and they're the ones that are staying late and putting in the hours. And then they are, they don't always get in on the action. And so Mm -hmm. even there should potentially be some type of um, percentage The the salespeople oftentimes get some type of commission for a project. And it'd be really interesting when we reimagine our companies post COVID to get the design team in on the action. And um, then they will, you know, Sometimes we 
we talk about creativity as if, oh, designers, they design things, but they don't understand gravity. Well, if they start getting X percent, if the project sells, they're going to really start to figure gravity out really fast, I feel. And um, if the and so when they have skin in the game, I think is an interesting way to to support and to alleviate some of that the symptoms of burnout. By the way, we also, call that yeah. we call that hitting the buildability button on the computer when yeah. you talk about gravity. We know you hit the make look good button, but we just need <laughs> the buildability button to be hit. Too. Yeah, and that's one of the things that here at Bemidji State we're super grateful for. We've gotten a, a number of donations, and so our process is we teach students the elements of art principles of design, and they learn how to sketch and we use sketching as a brainstorming tool divergent thinking of let's come up with as many ideas as possible and then let's kind of reevaluate listen to the customer's needs and let's hone in and start um, doing convergent thinking and come up with a few solutions and then um, let's model it out in the 3d software we're using vr goggles where we can test the spaces but now we can actually build. We have a lot of um, manufactured systems. We have B Matrix. We have AluVision. We have some Octonorm, and we have some an Agum kit. But if we can teach our students how things go together and how the connectors work, um, and we're actually printing on large format printers and we're applying them to Centra, and then. It allows us to have a, a conversation about drayage, you know what I mean? And say, if we were to build this out of um, two by fours and plywood, how much would it weigh? And as opposed to building it out of a, um, a panel with a Sintra, a B matrix frame with a Sintra panel over it. And mm. um, so we're really the educational experience that we're giving our students will help the industry and makes the designers have a deeper appreciation for buildability. Uh, we have an entire class called Materials, Lighting, and Structure dedicated to our designers learning about buildability. I think we've talked about this before. So much of a customer's behind the scenes costs, which are real costs, are based on the weight of the, of the structure, of the design. So traditional wood and two by fours and plywood and whatever that might be, papered over right and it might it might all pack into five crates where pre-engineered aluminum frames might all compartmentalize into two crates in one skid and if you go this one's fifteen thousand pounds and this one over here is five thousand pounds well not only does the transportation on the truck is a per pound weight but then the material handling once it gets to the dock and it's going to be unloaded doesn't matter that it's going to be in the same 20 by 20 or 20 foot by 30 foot exhibit space. It's that, that, that unloading your truck, it, it could, it's literally three times the cost. So if it's a hundred dollars per hundred weight, right? So what you have is 150 times a hundred dollars, 150, 100 pound uh, uh, weights, that 15,000 pounds is going to cost you $15,000 to unload the truck and take your empties away. And, bring them back at the end of the show um, versus five thousand. So at my point is um, I love that the designers are, are understanding the consequences 
the cost yeah. consequences of the materials you're using. Um, very important. Yeah. It's really, you know, to go back to this idea of customer burnout, it's really hard to explain to somebody how you can conceptually sh ship something from Tokyo to Las Vegas. And it's just as much as shipping it from outside the convention center to where it is on the trade show floor. You're like, how? Uh, and it doesn't always make sense. You know, I was really hopeful that COVID would allow the industry to reimagine itself and maybe come up with some other um, metrics. That's, a, of that's how, another how episode, we... my friend. We'll have you back. <laughs> we'll have you back for that round, Robin. <laughs> so one of the questions you asked was, what's something that creatives can do to recharge? Yes. Um, and I kind of came up with a, a short list is, you know, at the core, there needs to be, creatives need to be, mindful that they need to participate in self-care and take care of themselves. And um, it's, it's outside of the job. And sometimes the job requires a lot of sitting and things like that and can create some unhappiness, just the physicality of a designer in the, in the lifestyle. You know, you're sitting behind a computer a lot and just kind of being mindful of like exercising and eating well and taking breaks. And so we as creatives need to be extremely mindful to take care of our bodies because you are who you are at 59, Chris, because of how you treated yourself at 30, hmm. even if it's your 29th anniversary of your 30th birthday or whatever. Oh, you do watch. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, and it, it could, another thing is just kind of being mindful and being present. You know, sometimes we think that the way things are now, like, oh, I'm, I have way too many projects going on right now. You think that that's the way it's going to be forever. And we kind of get a little bit overwhelmed about the future. And, you know, if we just kind of live in the present, work on the projects we're working on now, be, uh, really mindful about completing the tasks today. And then when two weeks from now happen, it's usually not going to be as bad as it was. And, you know, when there's going to be times where you have a really light schedule and you just kind of need to manage the ebbs and flows and communicate with the leadership. And um, this goes kind of one of the things that a way of recharging is being mindful of your personal growth and figuring out where you've been where you are and where you want to go and make sure that you're communicating that effectively. You shouldn't have to quit your job to get your hands on a, a big project that Khalil's working on. Yeah. You should be able to have a sit down with leadership and say, Hey, I love this company. I love the projects I'm working on. But when I think about my, my personal and professional growth trajectory, I want to, be eventually working on some bigger projects. So when uh, my parents ask me what I do, they probably still won't get it, but I can tell them that um, I had a hand in working on a project for um, Google at CES or something like that. And um, they're projects that people know the name of the company, they have big enough budgets, and um, they're more... Um, showy, so to speak. And so just 
being mindful of your personal growth, professional growth, and being a good communicator about that. Yeah, um, Khalil, uh, Khalil talks to me all the time about, you know, we talk about culture. It's, is the work meaningful, right? It, yeah. Is there joy in what they're doing? And, uh, and, and, and I'm much, as a leader, I'm much more conscious now of all the people in my organization. I mean, I, I know in a minute we're going to probably get to our wrap up and start talking about takeaways, but to your, 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 um, I think that's, if, if you are, a, if it's a churn and burn chop shop type of a mentality, and I love what you said, there are, are there, we know there's going to be these peaks, but there's also valleys in work. So when you're really grinding, right. And it's 12 hour days. Um, we need our colleagues to say, man, I, this, we're only probably, we got about another three-week run and we've cleared out the pipeline and we got some breathing room. Um, so let's yeah. not lose it here. But if that shop never changes the pace of play for that design team, this is where you really, you're putting your employees at risk and your, and your company's at risk of losing people because nobody's going to put up with that for, for, for a, a permanent, is a permanent totally. environment, right? So I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the idea of creating a routine, I hate being looking at my calendar all the time. And I think most creatives do. They don't, um, I, I think of people that are retired and they don't know what day it is. Like, I love that idea. Um, but like, I also find that that idea means that I'm not as productive as I probably could be. And creatives that keep routines, I um, feel will be able to navigate re time to recharge, but also time to be really productive. And sometimes there's a little bit of a ramp up, you know, when we think about creativity as an individual, but then creativity as the work, the process of doing the work. Um, sometimes it's hard to get started on a project. Sometimes it's hard to know when you're done with a project. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your schedule and your routine can dictate some of this, but you don't just want it to happen serendipitously or whenever the salesperson says, I need it by two o'clock. Um, you, you want to actually start planning and then you can factor in times for going on a walk or things like that. And so keeping a routine is something that I would strongly suggest to other creatives. It's something that, again, for me, I don't necessarily love doing it, but I find that I'm able to be a good dad. I'm able to be a good professor. I'm also able to be an entrepreneur and um, able to be a maker too. I really do love making. And um, I sometimes don't get as much time for it now as I would like. But if I actually keep a routine, I can slot in some time, whether I'm turning wood on a lathe or whatever. And <clears throat> another one is connecting with nature. We're geographically located in northern Minnesota. It's absolutely beautiful here. But it's beautiful anywhere if you're looking and um, open for reflection and looking for inspiration. Um, <clears throat> Another one is engaging in a supportive community. One of the things that working from home is a challenge is how do you connect the people together and create a supportive community? One of the things that I'm hopeful for the event industry is that a lot of companies have a decentralized workforce, 
And one of the things that they could do is use the trade show or have an event where they actually bring all their employees together. So they're, um, or their C-level executives or their mid-level management or their creative teams. Um, one of the organizations that I worked for used to do a design camp where the designers would go out and do fun stuff. And it's all about being a part of a community of practice. And whether that community of practice is your design team or the project managers or the organization as a whole, it just is really important that you feel connected to that group. And it's one of the ways that you can feel encouragement, inspired and motivated. And um, so I think that's really important. And then always seeking inspiration. This is something that I think is really easy for uh, makers, designers, artists is we're always sponges. And I feel that if we're not going to galleries, museums, reading books, attending theater performances, or just going to shows, it's amazing how many designers in the event industry don't go to events. And mm. it's kind of sad. And so how can leadership create an organ, uh, like a mentality where the, des the design team is actually getting inspired partially while during while they're getting paid does that make sense it's yeah. almost like that's an after hours thing and um it's always going to be an after hours thing because when designers aren't at work they're just continuing to soak up inspiration wherever they go and um so it's a lifestyle and i do think that's one of the wonderful things about the creative lifestyle and we've talked about this is this idea of really embracing failure. Um, one of the ways that we can prevent burnout is just be open to failure. You know what I mean? Like at a very young age, I was buying and selling cars and I bought a Infiniti G20 and I was so excited. I love that car and I got it out onto the highway and the transmission was out. And I couldn't get out of second gear. So I'm driving... 35 miles an hour on the highway redlining it and and i'm crying because i just spent my money on this heap of junk that isn't working and i bought it at an auction so it's not like i could bring it back to the owner and i had to accept it move forward fix the transmission take the losses and try to make money on the next one and that's just the way it goes that's how entrepreneurship works but if you, if, you, if you never accept failure and move forward, you're constantly just lying to yourself. You know what I mean? And uh, we need to have some level of truth. And the, this goes back to being a part of a supportive community. If, you're, if your company has a, some level of failure rate that's acceptable, um, you, can, you can celebrate failures. You know what I mean? And you're like, all right, that one failed. We're going to celebrate. And if you've kind of um, can be a part of a supportive group, it's really nice. And then my last one is just kind of practicing gratitude. You know, this is one of the ways that I kind of try to live my life is just being a creative as a journey and you're constantly evolving and 
however you can stay inspired and resist burnout and be a part of an organization that helps you and supports you. And there's always things that happen within an organization where you can be grateful for. Sometimes people are always focusing on the negative and those types of people can be cancers within an organization. Mm. And um, just kind of trying to be grateful and trying to thrive is really, really important in, in meaningful work. So that's kind of yeah. the satchel's creative recharge <laughs> great great advice um, that's advice. fantastic well satchel i think the students at Bemidji state are very very fortunate to have you as their professor as their mentor and and guide as they begin their careers and so much of of what you've shared has been not only obviously insightful to see what you're doing for the students but just your understanding of how the whole machine works in the industry is extremely helpful for us as leaders in the, in the business side of it, uh, just to get a different perspective and to understand even just how the decisions that we make as leaders impact very specific employees on the design side is, is really helpful. Very. One thing I, I didn't want to leave before I understood this, because it's something that I think about a lot with entry-level employees and a lot of them coming out of college but it's really just the expectation they have going into their work. Mm. And one thing that we did talk about was, you know, the, the entry-level designer, the junior designer wants to be, you know, progressing in their career. They want to jump to that next step to being that senior designer or maybe eventually being the uh, creative director. And I think that it's one of the things you mentioned and having clarity about where you want to go. It's so helpful. What are the expectations that universities are setting for students in terms of salary, in terms of career progression, and even just timeline of role. Because I think as the business leaders, it can be frustrating to see sometimes the entry-level student want to put in one year of work and then become the creative director. Yeah. Or the compensation is the other part of that, clearly. So one is yeah, the title absolutely. and the prestige job after year. And the, and the other and, is and, compensation right out of the gate. And I think a lot of this isn't necessarily set by the universities. I, I, I do want to preface with that. We understand that a lot of it is even set by social media um, and just the content that people are consuming and the, the peers that they see now, not just in their local community, but their peers around the world. Um, so that it's not just on universities by any means. And I think people should strive for high standards, but... I know that Chris and I have both seen people coming out of college for entry-level positions expecting, you know, salaries that come much later in your career. Um, and there is value also, not necessarily in just taking a bad salary or a lower salary, but also in doing more of the production work, doing the lower level work for years at a time, and maybe even having that expectation that that is going to get me more reps so that I can become stronger and get more perspective and under, have more understanding. So anyways, loaded question. I'd love to hear just from your perspective, what are the expectations that you are setting for the students that are coming out of your program? So the expectations that I'm setting for my students here at Bemidji State that go into, so we have different roles, like we have graphic design, we have um, interactive multimedia, we have digital illustration and yeah. animation. We have a program, a new program called event planning and project management that takes students through the detailing process, 
the estimating process, and eventually the project management process. And I've worked with industry and two-year schools to kind of create this conversation and narrative for organizations. So we can say, Chris, if you're looking for a, a project manager, how about you hire a detailer from Bemidji State? They have education in project management. They, we've set the expectations that they will eventually become a project manager. So much money is made and lost in the project management process oh, that sure. just taking some, a new graduate and throwing them into the project manager role is probably not the greatest path for success for them or the organization or the client. But how can we start them as a detailer, move them into an estimator, and then move them into a project management role over a series of time? Whenever you move that project manager into an estimator role, then you hire a new Bemidji State student into that detailer role. And then they become an estimator. The estimator becomes a project manager. And so we're working with industry to create academic programs that set some of these expectations. Uh, also, I, I'm sorry, I, thing, but I, Satchel, I am not aware of any other academic institution that's to, you've been on this for a couple of years now. At least you and I have talked about this where you see you see the industry's needs. You you see where on each side of the designer position, right, is is account management and project management and production planning. And so uh, I've, I've, you know, I've already, I, I totally applaud that you're, you're looking at expanding the curriculum at Bemidji um, and placing and say, this is the next step. This is the next place. And by the way, the, the companies, the owners are listening and watching and rooting because this is the place we want to go um, where people have the, you know, the full scope of, of skills. So I love, love, love what you're doing. Yeah. Fantastic. And then, well, thank you. Um, but the other thing is I'm always telling our students that when they graduate, yes, they've conquered this mountain of a four-year degree, but they are at the bottom of another huge mountain. And every time you achieve, there's always another mountain, except for only a few. And I like the students to think of the first two years after graduation as an extension of their education, except they're not paying for it. They're getting paid and they should find a job that will, that aligns with their um, aspirations for um, what they're trying to achieve. And once we, the challenge is that Bemidji state has over the years, I mean, the program started in the, the idea of the program started in the early 90s. You know, I, 10 years after that, got went into the program and nobody had heard of Bemidji State when I went through the program. And now Bemidji State is a well-known entity within the Experienced Designers and Producers Association and the event industry. And our students are making a good salary. I think that if you look at the top 10 salaries um, it, out of higher ed. You know, you see a lot of engineering degrees, but they're making um, in the 60s and sometimes $70,000 out of college, some of these highest paying jobs. And our students are being offered this kind of money. And this is a challenge. It's also like, 
I'm I'm grateful that our students are making good a good wage out of college. A lot of our students are are taking out debt to finance their education. Um, the good part about Bemidji State is it's a state institution and it, the tuition is relatively low. I think that for what the students are getting, for what they pay, is a great it's a great investment. With that said, when you are making a a bigger um a larger salary when you graduate, the expectation for the student is that it is not an extension of their education, but rather it's game time and it's time to perform. And so I would like if you're making hypothetically forty thousand dollars, you're given a lot more latitude with your time potentially to walk around the shop, take a Friday and go to the go to the mall, the, the furniture store, the, the mall, the, the furniture store, the, the place um, inspires Neo, you. Yeah. Neocon, whatever, CES, whatever show inspires you and just seek inspiration on the company's dime. When you start making 60, 70, 80, $90,000, it's like, okay. The rules are more rigid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need to, I mean, you're being hired to help an organization and be a part of a team, generate income and provide a income for all those that are participating. And while there's a lot of revenue generated in a design department, we still need to be mindful that there's somebody that needs to answer the phone at the front desk. And there's other people that are maybe non-revenue positions that help the organization stay alive and continue a successful culture. And that's what being a part of a team is. And so, um, you know, I really think that there are benefits and barriers to every salary that you're given. If you're given 40, you have a harder time paying back your loans. If you're given 60, you can pay back your loans easier. You maybe don't have to have a roommate. There are certain luxuries that you can afford. There's trade-offs for everything. I, and, let me get, can I give you a, this is a soundbite, a mentor. When I was in my 20s and I was a developing contributor, full of confidence, this guy, I was in the financial industry and he said, Griffin, here's the deal. You're going to spend the first 10 years of your career being grossly underpaid. You're going to spend the last 10 years of your career being grossly overpaid. It's the 20 years in the middle that you're going to end up carving out your lifestyle from and that and, and supporting your family with. So that's the yin and yang. Now, those timelines might have changed a little bit, but somehow, Satchel, that's the expectations. I think some of those students have to have. And it's really what you're saying. And that is. But actually, they have a choice. They might end up with a forty thousand dollar opportunity with more flexible boundaries. They might be given a 60,000 right, but guess what? You are gonna have to move and relocate and pay what those rents are in that major market city. And maybe that's good for you, maybe it's not. But but the point is um, the last 10 years, you get to be Stephen Ross. You get to be Dana Esposito. <laughs> you get to be Satchel Josephson, right? But you don't get to do that in the first in the first 10 years of your career. And, and and the people our our listeners I'm sure are going to know those names because uh, yeah. 
in the hallowed halls of all those wonderful creative institutions like Bemidji and SCAD and FIT, there are some rock star names. And uh, as we've been reminded today, um, Satchel Josephson is one of those. So uh, I'm super grateful for you joining us today, Satchel, and, and taking us through this. It's really great. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to help share some of the things I've learned over the years. I have um, lots of ideas. I'd love to be back. So Yeah, we'd love to have you back. Thank you for, for sharing so much. I'll have the Reds. I'll have the Reds by the time you come back. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been great. Thank you both so much. I think this would be a great episode for listeners, and we definitely need to have you back, Satchel. So... Yeah, we'll awesome. hopefully see you on the next one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, all right. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Experience Builders Podcast. Check out our website in the show notes or visit crewxp.com to learn more.